0: Our heart
1: sponsor for today is the 501c3 nonprofit National Treasures Artists in Residence. We are supporting them by offering an audience requested masterclass on business plan writing. Over 30 days you will receive daily emails with microtasks broken down over the month that will give you a complete plan. This will help you assemble your ideas, communicate your concept to others, and raise capital. Participants will be eligible for prizes that will help you polish your plan to optimize success. Visit AchievePodcast.com forward slash plans with an S to register. Our mind sponsor for today is Modern Career. The Modern Career podcast, coaching, and workshops enable you to navigate your career in an ever-changing world and help you live your full potential. Mary Humiston, a former chief human resource officer of Rolls-Royce, shares insider tips, including insights from leaders and executives from all over the world. Leverage their expertise, they can help you build resilience, overcome obstacles, and feel more fulfilled every day. Visit modern-career.com right now to schedule a session with one of their experienced coaches, and if you use code ACHIEVE20, you'll get 20% off. On this episode, we have Joanne Klonofsky. Joanne was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. She began her career in finance and, through a referral by a friend, worked in the accounting department of the PGA Championships when it was hosted in Detroit and Cleveland. That launched a luminous career in sports and sports team management. She has worked with such franchises as the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and LA Galaxy. She has established records in ticket sales for leading events such as the 1994 World Cup and the 1999 Women's World Cup. She was also vice president for the Special Olympics hosted in Los Angeles in 2015. She now teaches and does business development for Quint Events, which arranges premier sports and entertainment experiences at such events as the Super Bowl, Kentucky Derby, and Formula
2: One. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us on our show.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me. I look forward to the conversation
2: as do I, I've been looking forward to this for, for some time. Um, so uh, I love to just dive into uh, the history. Um, I understand you're a native of Cleveland, Ohio, is that correct?
3: I am, I, um, I originally, um, as a female at the time that I was growing up, you typically weren't going to make it into a high end, you know, break the glass ceiling kind of position. So, you would be a nurse, you might be um, a support staff of some nature. So I decided I wanted to be a CPA. So I went to college in finance. And as luck would have it, I met a lovely lady. Um, I was going to school at night and I was a secretary during the day and I used to have lunch with her. She was in my building and she did headhunting. She said the PGA Championship is coming to Cleveland and they need Hmm. somebody for general office and to do accounting. So that's how I was hired there. And from there, uh, I had met, I actually had applied because the PGA moves every year. So Hmm. I would have to move and I wasn't interested in moving but I did work on two of them, one in Detroit and one in Cleveland.
2: Got you. And, now, was this while you were at uh, Marshall Mortgage, which I understand was your first No, job.
3: I was at, oh, you're good. I was at Midland-Ross.
2: Okay, all right. Well, just a little bit more uh, on, on your background before we jump into your career. I'm uh, just curious, how many generations has your family been in Cleveland? Um,
3: I am second generation. My okay. grandparents are all from Poland. Okay. Okay. Um, and my parents uh, spoke fluent Polish. Of course, oh, I didn't. Wow. Okay. They wanted to keep secret when they were talking, so be <laughs> Polish. And my that brother and true. I couldn't hear, a, understand a thing. So Got no, you. never okay. learned a couple words here and there.
2: Sure. Is but it a, a younger been, brother?
3: I have a younger brother. Okay. Uh, great parents. We had a fabulous upbringing. Um, wow. Very dedicated parents. We had a great childhood both of us
2: that's great and Wonderful. Um,
3: went to um south high school okay. um a public school originally two catholic schools at the beginning and then i set out looking for a position looking for a job yeah and
0: Fantastic. ended up at
3: Marshall mortgage then i went on to midland ross and there was a particular man there that sent me to night school and that's how i started my college
2: Fantastic. So I finished now,
3: about, Go ahead. No, no, please. Go ahead. No, I finished about two years in finance, and okay. then went on to work for the PGA Championships.
2: Amazing. Now, had you been an athlete growing up?
3: A little bit. I was a very good baseball player. I played some oh. basketball, but look, white foolish women can't jump, so I wasn't so good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Not okay. at all. Okay, fantastic. And we played tag football in my neighborhood, and that's about it. But I wasn't, sports wasn't something that I um, wanted to do in my career. It's the way that my career tended to go.
2: Okay. Fantastic. Yeah, well, I mean, these are skills that you could apply in a number of settings. And, and in fact, we'll get to this, but I love how you've come full circle back in finance. You're on the, the board of Premier yes. Credit. So that's uh, that's fantastic. But um, amazing, this woman, um, friend of yours, who introduced you to the PGA and kind of took off it's from there. It changed
3: the course of my life entirely. Entirely. Yeah. People really... Um, well, and, and it's also the man at Midland-Ross um, who sent me to school uh, um, to uh, study finance. Makes a big yeah. difference. People are like stepping stones in your life to take you on to the next, uh, the next step. Um, and networking has been absolutely critical. Every single position I've had has to do with somebody I knew that referred me. Yeah,
2: so okay.
3: it's reputation. There's nothing like it.
2: Got you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just curious, that uh, love of baseball from your youth, is that how the Cleveland Indians uh, job came to be?
3: Well, that's an interesting one. I was working for the Cavaliers, Cleveland Cavaliers.
0: okay. And
3: a new owner came in by the name of Ted Stepien, and he wiped out the office. But the board members from the Cavaliers were also board members at the um, Cleveland Indians. So they referred me there, which was extremely unusual. The man that uh, ran the operation, uh, the president was a man named Gay Paul. Um, His daughter actually came into my office one day and said, I came in to see that you're really a female. Because (laughs) I can't believe that my dad hired a woman.
0: Wow! and I'm
3: so thrilled. Oh, so I had good. an interesting situation when I was with the Cleveland Indians. Um, Gabe Paul named me to head up the NBA, the NBA, Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Right, in
2: 1981. Right. The, the league wasn't director. real
3: happy about that because they uh-huh. had named a woman. Quite but in true. any event, I, um, I would periodically have meetings with, we had different people that headed up different parts of the all-star game. Somebody, uh, a leader in town headed up finance, somebody headed up hospitality, another one, uh, transportation, so on and so forth. You typically do that type of thing to involve the entire community. Yeah,
2: makes
0: sense.
3: So we were going to this club for our luncheon meeting. I knew women weren't allowed. I thought, they know what I am. So yeah. I walked in with the owner of the Cleveland Indians and some of the um, top executives in Cleveland. And of course, I was stopped at the door. Oh, my God, in. Oh you're a woman. So they negotiated, and eventually, I came through the kitchen. Oh. And the, the, I must say, the executive followed me. Now, what's interesting about that, it depends on how you look at it. Now, a lot of my friends said, oh, my God, God, I cannot believe they just discriminated against you like that. I said, are you kidding? I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled because they looked at me as one of them. They didn't yeah. look at me as if I was a female. They just looked at me as I'm one of the people putting on the games or the activities around it. So that was a little, it happened a number of times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, But I looked yeah. at it totally different than most yeah. people would.
2: Amazing. And that's a wonderful perspective. And um, oftentimes you hear stories like that um, where women have to say they had to sort of not be themselves or really alter their behavior in order to fit in. Um, it doesn't feel like that was the case for you. It felt like you were just naturally
0: talented, great at
2: this, and were, you were passionate about sports, so it was easy to engage in that conversation. It didn't feel like there was any facade.
3: No, I didn't, uh, I didn't change my way. I'll give you an example. When I was with the Cavaliers, I headed up media relations um, and advertising. So in media relations, I traveled with the team on occasion and there were media that came along. Now, typically a media person within the office would take them to a bar. They'd have a really good time, perhaps watching another sports game and having a couple beers and a burger. That's not me. So instead, I would take them to a very fine restaurant Mm. because that was me. In baseball, I had another situation where I went to meetings in Tucson and I was the only female and it was the National and American League marketing people. And I had done the marketing radio and television for the Indians. So they always had a baseball game uh, between the two. Um, two leagues and they looked at me like what is she what are we going to do i mean i play baseball i looked at them all and i said look i have a shopping gene you guys go play your baseball and i'll go out and do my own thing but i didn't try to be something that i wasn't
2: they weren't yeah i love that and that's the key uh, just as I think about my own career and some of the women that uh, who were managing directors when I was starting my career, uh, I think the ones that did well were the ones who didn't try and be unnatural and, and not be true to themselves. Um, so that's uh, very profound advice. I'm, I'm so glad we touched upon that. So uh, how long were you in uh, Cleveland working with either the Cavaliers or the Indians?
3: Well, let's see. I left in 1980. Okay. And moved out to Los Angeles.
2: Okay, great. And um, so, and then uh, work-wise, um, were you still doing uh, consulting, or I mean, some some uh, gigs like the PGMs? I don't mean to call it a gig. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> engagements like that.
3: No, it was it was very tough. I actually was a trailing spouse. My I had a okay. great husband. And um, he did the 6 and 11 o'clock sports for 25 years in Cleveland. And he also did play-by-play for the Browns. So he decided he would try in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, he's still a great guy, but um, things didn't work out. I stayed. To find a job was very difficult because all of the sports teams already had the jobs that I would have had an interest in. So, the head of the chamber in Cleveland called the head of the chamber in LA and mentioned me and said, maybe you could help her. And he mentioned it to his board. And one of the board members, um, who used to be head of Avis Renekar knew a man by the name of Ted Banda, who at that time was heading up the Cleveland Indians. He called him up and Ted said great things, and he hired me. It was my only corporate job. It was with a company called TyCor. Okay. Uh, Terrific job. I really loved it. The difference was in in sports, when a game starts, it starts at 7.05. It doesn't matter if you've sold all the tickets. It doesn't matter. Nothing (laughs) matters. The game starts at 7.05. In the corporate world i wasn't accustomed to the fact that they would put things off no we don't have to close that deal today we'll do it tomorrow or we'll do it next week so that was a little bit of an adjustment for me but a nice adjustment i didn't have to put on the pressure but then the the company was sold so um i was not the surviving company so i was out again
2: okay is this when the um, uh, the Grammy Awards came up?
3: Um, Once? let's see, was that right after that? I've had so many jobs I don't
2: <laughs> I have it down as happening in 93, but I imagine there were some steps that led to it.
3: Let me see. Oh no, before that I worked at the LA Coliseum. Ah, okay. What happened was I was divorced and a gentleman asked me to dinner, and this is also an interesting case. When somebody when you have an opportunity to go out and meet people you can never meet enough people True. so i went out and we went to this dinner and across the table from me was somebody i recognized he worked for the new york knicks when i worked for the cavaliers and he said to me you don't belong in that corporate world come work with me at the la coliseum so that changed my life again and wow. i lived there for um, a short period of time. And then that was a temporary position. And then I went on to the Grammy Awards. Okay. And that was an interesting one, because it was somebody that I met at a Raiders game. And I knew his father. And he recommended me to the um, Grammy Awards. And the rest is history. That was a great position. For that one, I did a lot of the work, sponsorship. Parties, things of that nature, um, everything but the television. Okay. I enjoyed that. And then it went back to New York.
2: I see. So that was gotcha. the first time in
3: LA for a while.
2: Okay. And- um, it just, the, 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 there's obviously a natural um, affinity uh, sports and music, both being entertaining. Um, but I, my understanding is that the industries and the people involved can be quite different. Um, how was it being, uh, you know, sort of switching to, to the music side?
3: Well, they're all, they're a little bit the same, but not entirely. Um, you know, I'd be in a situation where I'd be in a meeting in um, uh, having to do with the Grammy Awards and somebody was, the person I'm meeting would get buzzed because they had a call coming in and they say, oh, I'm meeting with Linda Ronstadt, so Um, And I'm looking around and, you know, it's just a lot of the games that people play and they perhaps do that in sports too. So they don't want to talk to the person at that moment, but they want to show that they're important enough to be talking to important people. But selling for any sport, they're all the same. It's just the sport that's different, but the front office pretty much is the same.
2: Right, right. Yeah. No, I can see that. So I would love to talk about your involvement um, as VP of marketing for the World Cup in 94 Um, for just it being an amazing position to have, uh, but also personally, I'm a big soccer fan, Uh, Uh having been born in Germany. Um, came to the States when I was young, but uh, they've been my team uh, ever since, and um, recently had the chance to meet uh, or speak with Dr. Bert Mandelbaum, whom you might know. Um, mm-hmm. he, he was a team uh, physician soccer, for the yeah, soccer yeah. federation for a number of years, yeah, um, so great conversation with him, and of course he's uh, great pals with Bruce Reyna, and um, but um, so you were based in New York when you uh, took this so role. we were
3: based in Los Angeles.
2: Okay, got you. Um,
3: and we handled the nine cities. Um, Amazing. I handled, um, I managed uh, quite a large staff. We had a staff that handled ticket sales, a staff that handled all the sponsors. Right. Um, the trophy, which was, was very important. Very, very important. I remember traveling once with the trophy i was just going to san francisco with the trophy and i was told it cannot be out of your sight it has to be with you and if you have to go through security and they make you open this box make sure you go into a secure place Mm -hmm. don't open it well i'm thinking it's just a trophy well i i had they opened it just past security i can't i had to then have security take me to the um Wow, to the gate to the plane. Yeah, because i had amazing. so many people following me that i had yeah. a trophy and pictures with it and <laughs> it was kind of overwhelming yeah. you know we in america don't realize what a big deal soccer is in world cup yeah. i mean there were so many differences in the um, nine cities every one of them was extremely successful they all sold out um in Pasadena for the final game, FIFA originally wanted us to um, uh, stop all liquor sales. Well, of course, Pasadena looked at you like any city in America would like.
0: Yeah, of course. Kidding. Yeah.
3: Because in uh, the other countries, they have difficulty with people drinking, and we also sure. sold liquor within the stadium. The other thing was we wanted to do. They don't have halftime in soccer and we wanted to have some kind of entertainment. So we decided to do it beforehand. But FIFA was very concerned about the damage to the field. And Mm. there was a game at the Rose Bowl, Dallas, um, I I think it was against Buffalo, a Super Bowl game and Michael Jackson performed. And of course, all this stuff was moved on to the field. And nothing happened to the field. So then they allowed us to do more
2: entertainment. Yeah. Well, it was a wildly successful tournament. You sold yes. over a million tickets more than any prior yeah. World Cup, which is yes. uh, superb. And it really, I mean, it, um, it helped kick off MLS in the U.S. Yes. My understanding is Alan Rothenberg, who was yes. the head of the U.S. Soccer Federation, had to agree to that with FIFA in order to secure the hosting rights. Yes, um, oh, he he was
3: uh, you know, he's my mentor. He's just a oh, okay. fabulous individual. Still stands in for so
2: him. He's terrific. Nice. Nice. Well, I mean, he's really responsible for soccer's prominence or uh here um in the US and it's touching as a fan to, to see that continue to to grow and do well and attendance to grow. And now a lot of our youngsters are playing in European leagues, Christian Pulisic, um, he was at Borussia Dortmund, now he's with Chelsea. Um, but that, that's just gonna help raise the profile of sport. It was Absolutely. a shape uh, missing on uh, qualification in 2018. Um, but you'd, what's interesting, and I surmise about this and you'd be a good person to talk to, like. In every other country, um, the, you don't have the dilution of athletic talent as you do in the US. There's only one sport in Brazil, Italy, Germany, the UK. Um, in, in the US, if you have talent, you're encouraging your 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 children to play other sports, maybe basketball or baseball and football, maybe less so because of injury concerns. but you know, you you would tell them go where the money is. You wouldn't necessarily tell them, you know, just become a a poor soccer player in the U.S. So I think once we see the dynamics of that shift a little bit, and I think it's beginning to start. um, And I also think there's a nice job of uh, kind of the U.S. becoming a place where uh, athletes with very big names from Europe come and sort of end their careers here. Uh, David Beckham, Roy Keane, Thierry Henry, and it just is sort of continuing. So I think that's going to help.
3: Well, it is, and you see it a lot in hockey. You get a lot of European players, Canadian players. Um, In basketball, you have a lot of international stars, both from Asia, Africa, Europe. So it is changing a great deal, and for soccer, the same thing. Gotcha, yeah, absolutely. And then I enjoyed um, uh, my time with the Galaxy, uh, we sold okay. out the Rose Bowl, I think, three times, right? which wow. is absolutely incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, which
2: years was that, Joanne? Uh, oh,
3: The Galaxy was, let's see, World Cup was 94, 96.
2: Okay. So right, it, it, it's, it's the
3: first year of operation. I was yeah. working in Atlanta. I was um, working on the um, Paralympics. Oh, Paralympics, the Olympics. right. And actually, Alan Rothenberg called me and said we needed help in Los Angeles and would I be interested in coming back? So I did.
2: Nice. That's great. That was
3: very successful.
2: Yeah, wonderful. And I believe Phil Anschutz was involved with uh, funding he for was MLS.
3: Sure. Okay? He okay. bought the team after I left. Then okay. I went on to Long Beach and I was president or CEO of the Ice Dogs. My only oh, yeah. team. That's right. 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 And then the team was sold to Anschutz.
2: Okay. gotcha. And so um, you mentioned um, going back to New York. Was that um, after you were at LA Galaxy or after Long Beach and the ice hockey team?
3: I didn't go back to New York.
2: Oh, sorry. Okay. Misheard that. No, I was
3: only back. In fact, I wasn't in New York. The only time I went back to New York is I went there once uh, for the Grammy Awards. We had a oh, meeting right. okay. the record industry people,
2: but gotcha. after that, no. So you've been uh, a dedicated Angelina. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Nice place well, to live. It is. It's very comfortable. I have a similar story. I mean, born in Germany, but came to the States when I was young, grew up on the East Coast, came out to LA 20 years ago, and now it's home. Um, My children have been born here, have gotten settled here, so now they're going to school here, so uh, there's no reason to uproot, and uh, the weather is very hard to argue with.
3: (laughs) Oh, you're absolutely right. I talked to my brother (laughs) back in Cleveland, and it's uh, it's chilly.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, it was interesting when you talked about sports jobs here being so um, uh, tough to get, um, we, we saw a similar thing in the private equity industry, and what it dawned on us after a while is that it's, it's lifestyle-based. Like even if there might be an interesting opportunity elsewhere, people really want to stay in Los Angeles. And so yeah. they will. Th- there's not a lot of turnover.
3: No, there isn't. And I often um, tell a lot of uh, students that there are other opportunities in sports that aren't directly sports.
0: For instance, you
3: could work for a credit card company that's affiliated with a sports team. You can work with a tent company that constantly uh, puts hospitality together for events. You can work for a beer company. You can work for a lot of kind of outskirts kind of uh, corporations that are involved in sports. You can work for a shoe company, Nike, Right. adidas or adidas as you would exactly.
0: say right
2: <laughs> well and i have a good friend who um spent 10 years at red bull and the entire uh-huh. time he was uh, interacting with elite athletes and, exactly uh, Kevin, yeah exactly. so yeah it's uh there certainly are ways to be involved in sports without working specifically for a franchise or a team right um Well, you had several different roles and kind of from that period, I I noted in uh, 99, uh, you were with uh, an XFL team, LA Extreme.
3: Yes, I love that. It was terrific. We were also the most successful team.
0: And, um,
3: uh, you know, it was terrific. It was probably a little bit um, off the charts and some of the things that we did, but uh, it was unfortunate it wasn't uh, my league team or the NFL because a lot of our players from not only our team but the other teams went to the NFL. Okay. And, um, but we had a very good year. I really enjoyed it. John McKay was our general manager. Um, I had a, it was a it was a terrific position.
2: Nice. Oh, that's so great. Um, you also did some business development work with it. It looked like a few different um, entities that might have been under the same umbrella, or maybe um, there was some relationship there where it was the uh, men's women's gold club, uh, Tour of Roses, a rugby Oh, yes. Outfit.
3: You know, at some point, I'm trying to see, I'll look at my cheat sheet too. Um, <laughs> The, the, it's interesting because you can never meet enough people and your reputation is everything. On occasion, somebody that works for you, um, if you treat people fairly, they hire you. Yeah. It was a lady who worked for the Tournament of Roses and she hired me to handle nice. their hospitality. For the Gold Cup soccer, we did both men's and women's. Um, I oh, was this is the
2: CONCACAF course. tournament.
3: Exactly.
2: Okay, now I'm with you.
3: the head of the Rose Bowl, who I had worked with at World Cup, um, referred me to the people that were putting on the Gold Cup, oh. and so I worked for them for a couple of years. And of course, that went off. Then there was I had also uh, I headed up the Paralympics for um, the Olympics in Salt Lake and a gentleman that I worked with there referred me to the people that were doing um, uh, high-end ticketing for Pantages Theater for the producers. So that's how I ended up working for the producers, which is a little different. But again, all the sports entertainment in the front office are typically the same. It's just what goes on on the field or in the theater, that's a little bit different. But the sponsor sales, the marketing, um, of course, the big thing that has changed is social media. And um, right. that has made a big impact on sales yeah, and the no, internet. Absolutely. In 94, we had very limited um, uh, resources as far as computer. But by the time 99 came, we did everything on computer.
0: Yeah, Just uh, five years. Strange, so it's strange. changed
2: Yeah, it has. I also think like fan expectations have shifted as well. Like, um, you know, we kind of demand engagement uh, differently than, than we did before. Um, you know, we would expect press conferences or access to them or one-on-one interaction with, uh, with players. It, um, I mean, it can be both good and bad, uh, in terms of, uh, just managing it. Um, but I mean, do you see it as another source of revenue? Has it been positive in that way?
3: The biggest source, the biggest change in the revenue has come through, um, Sale of tickets, for instance. Mm -hmm. Of course, TV revenue still does wonders for sports. But if you just get down to the person that goes to a game, there was a time that we had uh, way back when when you didn't have computers, you had maybe five different ticket programs. Now teams have up to 80. And the reason Mm -hmm. is they change it with an algorithm. For instance, if a game is going to be really hot against a a big team, they'll charge more on that day. Um, And so it's changed completely. It used to be that you couldn't put somebody next to another person and have paid a totally different price. But you see it in airlines, you see it on hotels, and now you see it in ticket sales. Wow. It changes depending on the game that you want to go to, the time yeah. you want to go to, all of those kinds of things. I mean, to go from five to 80, it's really incredible.
0: Yeah, no, the
2: management of that is uh, so much more well, the, other
3: thing, the other thing that has changed is um, what we did in, excuse me, in, um, excuse me, in World Cup, is we had hospitality packages. So, what you did was you took the ticket and you added some, maybe gave them a better seat. You gave them some other perks. They were able to go into a hospitality venue. um, And they love to wear a lanyard to say they're important. People love it to walk around with something that says VIP. They just love it.
2: All access pass. (laughs) Absolutely. They love
3: it. So you do those, and you um, you know you're giving them value, but they're paying yes, a lot right. more.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: So that changed too. So now you see it um, later on, and now it stopped because of the pandemic quint events. Um, actually, it was a man I worked with at World Cup, and uh, they do all hospitality packages for all sorts of different event, different events, Formula One. Um, Kentucky Derby, Masters, a lot of different. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, saw so the NBA All Star game, Super Bowl. Yeah, pretty expansive. Yes. Yeah. That yes. was Quint Events, a group that you had started, or it was a group you had no, joined? No, I
3: didn't. Okay. The gentleman I worked with at World Cup started it with another right. individual. Okay. They started it actually for one of the Super Bowls in um, Florida. And then it continued. They became a partner of the NFL. And from there, they were able to um, secure a lot of other um, companies, sports events to uh, uh, be involved in their ticketing program. It works very well.
2: Yeah, fantastic. Joanne, I'd love to hear about um, your being the CEO of SR Productions. Because uh, the slate of speakers...
3: Yeah, that was terrific. Actually, the person that um, actually owned that operation was Alan Rothenberg.
2: Oh, okay. Nice.
3: That was his. That was his. mentor. uh, SR Productions. That's the R, Rothenberg. And he brought me in to head that up. Um, We had another individual, Dan Savage, his partner, that booked all the talent. And... um, so, we for that we had sponsors and we also did a lot of work at ticket sales.
2: Sure, and I bet. And well,
3: great speakers, it was really terrific. It, oh, and then one partner dropped out and then we closed the operation.
2: Oh, okay, gotcha. It
3: was fascinating gotcha. um, well, I mean, being all those individuals.
2: That's what I was just going to ask you about. As CEO, you must have had a chance to meet uh, Bill Clinton and Bush Sr. Maya Angelou, yeah. um,
3: you just, oh, you have all, this... They were all just so charming. I mean, Bill Clinton holds your hands, looks you right in the eye. I, um, mm. what do you do here? And I mean, he's just very charming. Same thing with um, senior George Bush. I mean, they were oh. all really, really charming. And then we had, um, after we had people again, we developed a, a package where you could have a better ticket, and you could meet the speaker after the event, and have a photo taken with them. So we did a lot of that, and um, it was perfect. Nice. So thank you very much. I enjoyed that position.
2: Yeah, yeah. So great. Almost a shame that one of the partners left yes, it <laughs> is. It had to it's shut, shut it, it down. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, uh, as our productions sort of shut down around 2007 um, and you had already started your teaching, some of your teaching roles at that point, I believe.
3: Well, I start. I actually started the teaching at, um, let's see, when I was with the Ice Dogs. There was oh, a, okay. a, a gentleman that I had known for I mean, ages, a man named Bill Schumacher, who was with the Dodgers when I was with the Indians. And um, we reconnected because he headed up um, athletics at Cal State Long Beach. He then left and headed up uh, Special Olympics for Southern California. But in the interim, he developed this program uh, for sports management for a master's program. And he asked me to be on the board And so I've been on the board ever since. And I also um, was an adjunct professor at um, San Francisco, um, University of San Francisco, for a period of time. Right, right. And one county annex.
2: Right. And also at USC?
3: Um, I did some speaking at USC to some college graduates or their master's program, but I wasn't on staff route. It wasn't a constant.
2: Okay. And so uh, your work as the advisory board member at Cal State Long Beach, you're uh, sort of deciding on curriculum. um, uh, Are you teaching as well?
3: I do um, uh, lecture on occasion. Well, I lecture every semester. One of the Uh, One of the teachers will call me in to lecture. It's not quite as good on Zoom, but in person, (laughs) it's really very nice. And oftentimes, they'll send students to me to talk about um, different opportunities they may have. And the thing that I tell them the most is nothing is as important as your reputation. It's how I go from job to job. And you cannot meet enough people. You can't. You never know where your next opportunity is, but if you sit at home, it's not going to happen. Of course, these days it's very difficult, but.
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, are you still involved with uh, Quint Events?
3: Yes. Uh huh. Quint Events okay. does the high end hospitality packages. And You're still um, active there. They're sold, well, not right now because of the pandemic.
2: There aren't any events, yeah. <laughs>
3: Are no events but we do it internationally um you know i might have somebody with the nfl uh, somebody interested in a super bowl ticket and they're from australia they might be from oh, germany yeah. it could gotcha. be from anywhere so uh, it's a worldwide event yeah. the difference in um, u.s events as to international events and you've probably seen this is in the u.s we don't care who the quarterback is for the super bowl we just have to be there you have to be part of it on the international stage it's a lot more important they're a lot more astute as to who's playing and who's the goalie and so on absolutely you're just interested in the social part of i've been to that game
2: Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes it's uh, whether it's Champions League or World Cup or European Cup, it's um, if your team is in it, then of course your interest level is through the roof. Um, And there are uh, blocks of tickets that are are sold to just enthusiasts who say, you know, I just want to be there. Um, But uh, oftentimes most of it is a block reserved to give to the uh, Football Federation of the countries that have actually made it to the final. And that becomes a scramble at the last minute.
3: <laughs> yeah, tickets become very valuable to people. You, a lot of times you have to say that you've been there. So,
0: yeah, um, yeah absolutely.
3: You know, it, it happened with a lot of the World Cup games. We were very successful because in many cases people had to say, I attended a World Cup game.
2: Yeah, that was true. Yeah.
3: yeah. And then, you know, we, um, I think Depot was very, fascinated when they came to the game, I think it was, again, Dallas and Buffalo, the Super Bowl game, that somebody from different teams could sit next to each other.
0: And they didn't (laughs)
3: separate them. And then, of course, when somebody makes a goal, we stand up like this, we're happy. But you take Brazil, I mean, they're pounding on drums and they're so animated but we're yeah. not animated we sit there quietly and we don't pay a great deal of attention to the person next to us so yeah. it's different i um at one time i had a friend who was visiting from hong kong and i took him to a baseball a football game the raiders would play so easy to explain you go 10 yards you it's so you know you pass or you run the ball and it was so easy to explain. Well, then we go to a baseball game. It's not that easy. It looks <laughs> very simple, but it is. Oh. Um, you know, you have the bunt. You have um, a purpose fly out to get somebody right. out, somebody on page. But the one thing that he did say about baseball, he says, you know, baseball is interesting. It's really an edathon because. <laughs> It's such a pastime people get up to get something to
2: eat or they're hailing somebody selling
3: something yes. Right, right, right. That's basically what it
2: is. I thought yeah. Yeah, he's right on. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Well, you know, the, it just becomes steeped in the culture and then it becomes ingrained and you don't think about it. Um, I always um, find it amusing when um, uh, so, um, my American friends who are diehard baseball fans will argue that soccer is so boring. And, and I'd say like, well, we, we, we spend 90 minutes and we're done. And you know, if, if it's a draw, that means you weren't yes. good enough to beat the other team. And then we just kind of move on with our lives. Whereas baseball feels like a much bigger investment. It can go three, four hours. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I pay attention when the hometown team is involved. So I think it was maybe 2017 when the Dodgers were in the World Series and there was that one game that went for 18 innings. And I'm texting my friend saying, we could have finished three soccer matches in <laughs> the same time frame.
3: <laughs> oh, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's really fast. And you have to pay attention. In yeah. baseball, you could come back and get kind of caught up. Football too. Football takes yeah. a little bit. But baseball is, of all the different teams that I work for, the easiest one, I shouldn't say this, is football. Because they have one game a week.
0: Uh, baseball
3: yeah. was incredibly tedious. So just what you're saying, you have a game every single day. Um, you have a home stretch. So you're home, you might be home for 10 days. Mm. And I mean, you're there from nine in the morning until the end of the day when the baseball game ends, and heaven forbids you you go into extra innings. For oh, somebody living in Cleveland better. or anybody on the East Coast. Really, the only nice time of the year is the summer. Really? And in baseball, you're spending your entire summer at the ballpark.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah.
3: And uh, basketball, not so much. Baseball, you when you travel with the team, you sure. do get to know the city. And basketball, I don't know how these players remember where they are. I mean, they're there one night in San Diego, the next night they're in San Francisco, another one in Los Angeles. I mean, they get up. I don't know how they know where they are. Um, <laughs> so it's much, much different.
2: Yeah. Do you miss uh, that team environment, team management environment?
3: Yeah, I do. I really mm. enjoyed it. I mean, I'm re- I can say I'm really good at it. It's my only bragging yeah. item. I'm really good at front office. Um, I've done so much of it that. Um, I know a great deal to do to make a team successful.
2: Yeah, So I, yeah.
3: Do, I do miss it.
2: Oh, thanks for sharing that. You know, in another interview, uh, Joanne, you talked about how the best learning experience is actually when you're with a basement team. And oh
0: my
3: gosh, yes. That's yeah. <laughs> question. You know, so many students will say, gee, I'd like to work for the Lakers. I said, but you won't learn anything. Mm-hmm. To learn marketing, for instance, with the Cleveland Indians, we were always in the basement, you know, always in the basement. And our deal was to get a million paid patrons per year, oh, no. even being in the basement. I mean, we would do things like um, we had a man by the name of Jay Cochran walk across the stadium without a net on a tight wire. Well, they weren't there to see him. see basically. They really were there to see this guy if he was going to fall. Of course, he didn't.
0: <sighs> wow. Then we
3: would bring in the Beach Boys after a game. We would bring in the San Diego Chicken, who was Ted Giannolas, who um, did a fabulous job on uh, in between innings. He would come out and kick dirt in the umpire's base and things of that nature. He was great fun. and. Um, it did a lot of things in order to bring people into the stadium. It's a lot of work when you have yeah. a team that isn't winning. When the team is winning, it's it's really easy. Yeah. I mean, selling any kind of tickets. You develop, um, you try to develop a lot of fan clubs. You discount some tickets. You do everything you can to bring people in. Yes, that's a very good point.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, That's fascinating. Um, I just was reminded of the movie Major League, um, which I think came out in the late 80s. Did you have overlap, or did they interact with the franchise much in the filming
3: of that? No, they didn't. I don't know if I was there at that time. I don't remember. But yeah, that was a really, really good film. Um, I think they exaggerated some of it, but not entirely. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, here's it was also in a Kevin Costner movie. And there was something uh, very profound that he said and it was if you're a player that is extremely popular and you're doing very well and you never change your socks everybody thinks that's really terrific wow everybody will talk about it but if you're a player that isn't important and you're just down in the ranks and you don't change your socks they'll tell you what a terrible person you are because you don't smell so good but it really is different I mean you can if you're very successful you can do a lot of different things that you can't otherwise Mm. but um, I did have one athlete uh, if somebody were to ask me my very very favorite athlete it was um, Muhammad Ali
0: I promoted
3: a heavyweight title fight Wow. And my father was a big um, fight fan. Okay. So because I was promoting the fight, we had a training session and I'd invite the media. And so I brought my father, took advantage of this. So I introduced him to Ali. And every day after that, Ali would stand in, in the ring with his gloves on and say, hey, Joe, how are you? It still gives me shivers to this day. And he did it every day with my dad. Anyway. Wow. Very,
0: very <laughs> <at> that, <time.
2: laughs> that is really phenomenal. Did they, they stay did, They stayed in touch? Was there a bond that had flourished
3: there? No, no. It was okay. just for that period of time. But here's the interesting one. Is that title fight, um, Sylvester Stallone was watching that fight and patterned Rocky after that fight. Wow. And so the question always is, who did he fight? It was, and it went 14 rounds, not through 12, as you do today. It was Chuck Weppner, who is known as the Bayonne Bleeder, and um, mm. who is still um, alive and kicking, I think, in New Jersey, but, um, oh, okay. and it was a decision.
2: Oh, amazing.
3: Anyway, that was a great experience.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And what a great gift you could give your father. Uh, oh, it was wonderful. Tremendous. I can only imagine what that meant to him. Yeah. Joanne, you've been so generous with your stories, your insight, uh, your time. Uh, I really do appreciate it.
3: Awesome. I mean, I've had a phenomenal career. I loved every minute of it. Wonderful, wonderful people that I've worked with and um, you know, it's, it's wonderful and the career continues. Now I'm with, um, I still um, do lecturing at Cal State Long Beach and I'm right. on the board of uh, Premier America Credit Union. Uh, great board members, great company. So I'm happy. That's and so how good. many people can say they've loved their career, loved going to work every day? I certainly have.
2: Yeah, very few, and uh, I think you kind of gave us a little bit of the secret as to why in the beginning of our conversation when you said you always just were you were just always Joanne, you were true to yourself. You didn't put on a facade, you didn't fake anything, you didn't pretend to be someone you weren't, and I think that's a big part of it. And then all these amazing relationships you fostered. I mean, so many stories you shared about the transitions. People were seeking you out. You know, Alan needed you for something, another person needed you for something else. So it's just it's beautiful. It speaks I know, volumes. I
3: just did it. It's wonderful. It's a great, great feeling. And I'm I'm very, very fortunate.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and now I feel fortunate because you've shared this with us, uh, with me and our audience. So uh, I'm very grateful to you, Joanne. Thank you so Thank much you again.
3: So, so very much. Appreciate being on your show.
2: It was wonderful to have you as a guest.